What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Gabriel Hamill, who is, as I was mentioning before we started recording, one of the most downloaded episodes of this podcast of all time. Gabriel is a National Guard vet. He's also a seller financing master, the king of diamond pushups, and has done now since the last time we talked, he's gotten into mobile home parks, but has never had to syndicate a deal and has over 200 doors under his belt. And I would just say financially free and lives a life that if you follow him online, you probably know it's a life that a lot of people look up to, right? You have the freedom to do what you want when you want, post cool quotes and travel cool places and spend time with your family. And just a cool guy. So, Gabriel, it's always fun. So, welcome back on the Military Millionaire Podcast. Yeah, thanks, David. I appreciate you having me back. Looking looking forward to it. Of course, brother. So, can you give just a short update for those who haven't listened yet? And I'll link in the show notes. You need to go listen to his first episode because we're going to skip past a lot of that and do updates. But uh, just a short intro to yourself. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to cover too much of the same stuff as last time, but kind of a, a quick intro. Uh, you know, high school wasn't my thing. Uh, I stayed in high school mostly for the social aspect, and and I was a high school wrestler. And I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad a couple couple years after high school, and I was like, yes, this makes sense. First first book I ever read where I'm going, this this actually makes sense. Um, also to back up, I had joined the Army National Guard in uh, 1999. So it was my middle of my senior year of high school, graduated in 2000. Um, so I was pretty fired up, like, hey, I'm gonna invest in real estate. That's how I'm gonna, that's how I'm gonna build wealth. And then I ended up getting called up and sent to Iraq in 03 and 04. Um, and so I hadn't bought a property yet, but I was determined. And, and I said this probably last time, but I was telling all my buddies, like, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna build wealth, I'm gonna be financially free, and I'm gonna do that through real estate. And they were like, Man, you're an idiot. Like, what do you like, like how? What are you talking about? You're living in your you know, you know, in your buddy's attic for, you know, $80 a month or $100 a month or whatever it was, what makes you think you can do it? And I, I said, I have no idea how, but I'm going to find a way, um, you know, bought a first, my first couple of houses during the subprime, uh, 05, 06, when they were just giving money away. And when 2008 hit, the bank said, you know, screw you. you, you don't have a job, you don't have money. And I had to go the seller financing route. So uh, not to get into it too much and to repeat myself from last time, but I basically uh, had a minimum wage job after doing a bunch of odd and end stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I was I was tired of it. I was like, how do I replace this income? So I did a seller finance deal. It was four units that replaced that income almost to the dollar. And so I became financially free really fast and really young, but I was I was poor. I was broke. Like I, 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 was, I was living off less than $1,500 a month cash flow, but I was essentially financially free. I was like out of the rat race. And that yeah. was kind of a, that big goal. And uh, that that's kind of the start of my, of my real estate investing story. I think that's cool. Cause a lot of people, right. So you mentioned that and you say it almost like it's a downside, right. But it's like, there's, there's all these different components of trying to retire. And a lot of people get wrapped up in, on. it's almost like there's like the index fund world of financial independence and the real estate world, the index fund world of re- financial independence is like, 
slash your expenses, live below your means, be frugal, put your money away, take 4% out, be able to live off that, just invest, 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 and then live off this little bit and you'll be good. The real estate side of financial independence is like, I need to have so much money every month coming in. And it's kind of kind of comical to me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exiting the rat race this year and I am by no means the like flashy tens of thousands of dollars of worth of, you know, income through cash flow. In fact, my wife is going to end up, she's going to keep working because she wants to keep working. Uh, but I have enough money that I'll be able to cover all my expenses and still continue to put money into real estate to, to grow that. Uh, while, you know, while she works, I, I could probably be okay if she didn't work. But um, I think, I think it's just cool that you said like $1,500 a month, like you were like lean, Hey, we're, we're free, but uh, not like I'm driving a Bentley free. Um, and yeah. I think that's a good spot to be in. Yeah. And, it, and it, I mean, it was crazy times, right? Like 2008, I had shut down a, a little nutrition store that wasn't making money. My first son was born in 2008. And so it was definitely like this, oh shit moment. I mean, like, I mean, two, by 2010, I had a, a you know, another, my second child and a two-year-old, right? And so I was all in, like, I basically put myself in a position to have no plan B. I was like, this is how I'm going to become wealthy. And I wasn't focused on making money. I was focused on building wealth. And I just looked mm -hmm. at that differently. Like, so, you know, I believe in abundance that started out with that frugality mindset of like, I just don't need something that's not an asset. Like my liabilities now are paid for by the assets that I purchased over the years. And it took a lot to get my mind out of that kind of out of that mindset of, of frugality. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't own new shoes. I mean, it, I remember my wife convinced me like, Hey, you, you can buy a hundred dollar rain jacket. You live in Oregon. It rains. Like it's okay. Right. Like you, you can at least, but it's like, that's where my, my mind was at. I was like assets, liabilities kept it simple. If it's not an asset, I'm not going to buy it. You know I mean? I, I drove, a lot of shitty cars, um, you know, while my friends were financing fancy stuff they couldn't afford. But, you know, it's, I do believe, you know, like 10 years of in investing right and investing smart can set you up for a lifetime and then potentially generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an interesting balance to try to strike too, because people get wrapped up in like, there's the keep up with the Joneses, but then there's the, like the side of the spectrum that people don't talk about is when you get so wrapped up in frugality that you don't allow yourself to have any luxuries. Like you mentioned, like hundred dollar rain jacket when you live somewhere that rains all the time. Right. It's like, there's this, there's this like balance and there's a lot of people on either extreme of like, there's obviously the people who have no assets and a ton of liabilities. And it's very common, unfortunately. Uh, and then there's the people who have assets, but they, you know, they, it's like the guy I remember in high school, I delivered this pizza to a guy who had like a, a really nice Porsche. Uh, I don't want to say Ferrari, but like, like three cars that were clearly six figure cars in his garage in a gated community and a really big million dollar home. And this is in Arkansas. So million dollar home is, is saying something. And the dude made me drive back to Domino's 15 minutes away to pick up the change because of the, like the coins, like I had dollar bills to give him even change, but he wouldn't let me just give him the extra dollar and keep like, let him keep the 30 cents. And he wouldn't let me keep the 70 cents as a tip. And he was just straight up like, no, you got to drive back. I want my 70 cents, like no tip. And I just remember thinking like, I don't ever want to be that kind of wealthy where I can't spend 70 cents to tip a delivery driver yeah no way you know and it's like i found like just just the practicality of of karma you know like the, the more i give it just comes back you know you know tenfold and it's you know that that was that was a challenge initially like i remember being like oh when i get to a point right but it was 
I found the more giving I am, whether it's with my time or, or my money, like that's a, that's valuable, you know, and I'm not, I'm not willing to just be focused on all the, all the little, all the little things, right? Like I want to tip people big that are doing, that are doing their job well. Like I want to be able to give to, to people because I can, and that's, and that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The, what is it? The book, the go-giver that talks about um, like, you know, the more you give, the more you get back. And uh, like the fact that the money, money is a currency. I think that's a pretty cool concept. And I, I've definitely noticed, I, I think it's almost comical to watch people who worry about money, not like they struggle as opposed to people who are just kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't, not to say that you can't care about money. Right. But like, the more you try to strangle hold your cash, the less cash you are. It, it's kind of a weird dynamic, I guess. No, I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, I, I look at money as a game, right? And unless, unless someone's willing to, you know, and there, there's a, a handful of people, like I know one personally, right. That completely lived off grid, did their own thing. Like they had essentially time freedom, right? Like they were living their life that way, but most people in some way are tied in to money in some way they either work for it you know and i've had a lot of people throughout you know especially when i first started you know buying real estate would say oh i don't care about money and i'm like look you actually i think you care about money more than i do because you're showing up to a job every day working for money so if you're going to be in the money game why not win it like i i enjoy building wealth and i'm not focused on the money aspect of it i'm focused on what can i do with building that wealth and what can that provide for for my family and and my life and it actually provides what to me is the most important is that time freedom, the ability to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. And, you know, I think a lot of people uh, go into whether it's a job or into investing with the idea of some level of financial security and freedom that they want. And then oftentimes they get stuck in the job or they even get stuck in the business that they built and they forget why they wanted the job or why they wanted to build that business in the first place. So I think it's, I think it's just important to get, clear on what you want and then actually build something that, that supports that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. All right. So you have a bunch of properties that you own seller financing kind of single family. What point did you, uh, I guess why, why mobile home parks? Did you kind of stumble into that or is that something, is that an asset class you started pursuing? What was kind of the transition there from normal seller financing into the bigger assets? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I talked a lot about on the last the last time I was on just the seller financing, you know, everything from 2009 through 13 was was no money down seller financing deals. And that's really how I built, uh, built a lot of uh, my portfolio up. And it was a lot of small, medium size multifamily stuff, two units, six units, eight units, some, you know, a little bigger 15, 20 unit type stuff. But I just saw the the cap rates were being condensed down to nothing. The returns were being condensed down to almost nothing in the larger multifamily. And I just felt like there was an opportunity in the mobile home park space. I felt like um, it's fairly recession proof. I feel like they operate a lot like multifamily. There's a lot of upside. Um, and a lot of the sellers, uh, a lot of the owners of these mobile home parks, they're very familiar with seller financing. And you know there is financing for mobile home parks, but uh, there hasn't always been, and it's not as it's not as typical as say a single family home or or even multifamily. And so the conversation with a mobile home park owner uh, on seller financing is pretty easy to have because those sellers, in a lot of cases, have have purchased with seller financing or they sold with seller financing before. So it's just an easy conversation to have. I didn't realize 
I mean, that makes sense because a lot of banks, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, Jeremy, just yesterday, who was like the two things that banks, he was talking to local bankers. He's like, the two things they don't want to lend on right now, they don't want to touch hotels, mobile home parks. And I was like, well, why mobile home parks? He's like, I don't know. They don't ever want to touch mobile home parks. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting that that's, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. It's kind of got a stink eye in some ways for, you know, lower class, but it's not. It's a good asset class. I totally understand hotels right now. I mean, that's a, you know, the pandemic kind of slashed hotel businesses. Uh, I might have a chance to buy one off a bank here soon that um, try to turn into assisted living or something, but. Um, well, and in, in general too, like I found I've never, other than those first three properties that I bought during the subprime in 05, 06, 07, which I don't know if you can even consider those traditionally financed. I've never traditionally financed a property ever. I've never got a traditional bank loan on a property for one, I think it's a lot easier to go from seller financing and refi into long-term debt, long-term financing. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, you know, after doing this for know, a decade, I borrowed private money and hard money. Same thing. I, I feel like it's a lot easier to go in with less money, own the property, and it's a lot easier to refi into long, long-term debt because you already own the asset. And I think banks are willing. I mean, everything I bought in 09 through 13, I, re- I refinanced in 2014 because all those are properties, all those properties appraised out. If I would have tried to buy those during that time with bank financing, they would have wanted me to bring 30% to the table every single time. So if you own an asset that cash flows, whether you bought it with private money, hard money, seller financing, and you've come into that deal with way less money down, it cash flows when you buy it and there's upside potential and you can get that property to you know, function as, as, as you plan. I think it's just easier to, to do that value add and then refi. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. Uh, in fact, we, we talked about it. We mentioned it briefly before the recording, but my best deal, really the only thing I've ever had seller financing in, I've, I've done a lot of low money down deals where it was um, either like I, either either like a cash purchase on a property where I got it for like 20% of the ARV or uh, maybe even less in some cases. I just bought a property for 12 grand. Like, awesome. yeah, okay, yeah, I'll pay cash for that. Okay, I don't really worry about whatever. Um but I've also, you know, I've done some other like FHA, whatever, but um, the uh, one property that I bought with seller financing involved was 85% bank, 10% seller. I paid like 4.9% down on a 10 unit and I was in the process of refinancing and I've already refinanced and paid everyone out, including myself, but I was going to refinance again and pull more capital out and reinvest it. And uh I just got an off-market deal, off-market offer that was enough to, it's like, oh, okay, that's a thousand percent return. I'll, yeah, I'll walk. Um, but I mean, that was, I mean, I paid $10,000, nine, nine, 10,900 down on a property because of like 20 grand in seller financing and then the remainder bank. And I would have never been able to get into that property. And I mean, that thing's legitimately changed the entire ability for me to EAS because I'm going to pay off all my bad debt or anything other than mortgages. And I'll have almost hundred K in capital when I'm done with that thing um, off a property that I paid less than 11 grand into. So it's yeah, been incredible man. for me. Yeah. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do with traditional financing. It just, it just is. Yeah. So you get into mobile home parks and you find that mobile home is they're open to seller financing. You've now got four, four parks, right? Yeah, four um, park. How do you, I mean, that's just, that's just a, it's kind of a scary leap, I guess. Like that just seems kind of like a crazy, like, okay, from all right, single family home to mobile home park, all seller financing. Like, 
how was that transit? Like, how did that go on the operations side? Are you running the operations on that? Did you hire that out? How are you messing with that? No, no. So it's kind of interesting because I think it parallels kind of my 2008 leading up to 2009 and 2020 kind of parallels leading up to, to 2021. So definitely feels like um, we're in a peak. Right. 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 And um, so kind of going back before I did my first seller finance deal, I spent all of 2008 looking on at Craigslist every single night, talking to people, telling people I was looking for, building relationships, right? So I went through the process. I analyzed a lot of deals until I found that first seller finance deal where I felt very comfortable to pull the trigger. And then it was, I bought a property with seller financing, another one with seller financing, another one with seller financing. So mobile home park, similar in the sense of, I did one deal mid 2019. I did a seller financing uh, a deal, which we, we could dive into that deal. It was a 2% down deal, 200% cash on cash return. Um, it, it was just, it was just a phenomenal purchase. There, there was a lot of upside. Um, but that was the end of 2019. And then I didn't buy anything in 2020 first year that I hadn't bought a property since, uh, since 2008, but I was going through the process. I looked at a lot of deals. I analyzed a lot of deals. I was building relationships. I was telling people what I was looking for. And then, you know, by on uh, December, December 31st of, of 2020, I was, all of a sudden in contract on four mobile home parks. Two of those I two of those I pulled out of and two of those I purchased. Part of that was like, hey, I need to quit fucking around. I'm gonna buy some mobile home parks mm-hmm. like 2021. Not that I was actually fucking around. I mean, I was going through that process, but you know, it's it's just I was pushing down the dominoes. And so when it came an opportunity to to buy these parks, I was ready to pull the trigger. And I just I think that's important, whether it's a high market, low market, you gotta go through the process. You have to talk to people, you have to build relationships, you have to analyze deals. People that say they're gonna they're gonna sit out and wait until you know the market corrects or until, until they find a good deal, they're not gonna be ready to pull the trigger when when they find a good deal. No one's gonna just say, hey, you know, here's a deal, and then the market's at the market is at an all-time low, you know, buy this. It's like, you have to go through the process so you're ready when when those properties come your way. Well, let's be real. People have been saying we're at the peak or in a bubble for the last four years, right? I mean, I, when I was buying this 10 unit, people were telling me to stay out, stay away. The market might, you know, who knows, we're high. I'm going to walk away with three years of my taxable income after taxes when I sell this thing because yep. of it, growth. And I mean, that might not have happened, but it cash flowed the whole time I owned it. So I think it's, I think that's the key, right? Is it, can you hold it right now as the numbers are, whether it goes up or down? And yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's huge. I mean, I'm, and, and if you, especially like you said, if you're getting in the process and you're talking to people and you're finding, you're not, you're probably not finding, I mean, I'm, you, I don't know, you might have bought something on the MLS, but I would imagine that a large majority of what you're buying is off market deals or negotiations with people or just people who came and brought something to you or, you know, I mean, the last, four or five houses I've bought have been while this market is crazy hot, nothing stays on the market and they're all well under market value because yep. they're not, I'm not hunting with real estate agent online. I'm finding my own deals, talking to other investors. Um, and that comes from knowing the market and people knowing what you're looking for. Right. I mean, the whole reason oh, exactly. I'm selling my 10 unit is because someone knew that I had one and was like, Oh, I know someone who's looking, Hey, would you be interested in offers? I'm like, sure. What do you got? And then it was a good offer. Like, oh, okay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and those relationships, it's, it's all the above of what you just said, right? Like one of the mobile home parks was, it was going to be listed. It was an in-house listing, but I had told this, this broker already, cause they kept sending me this a class stuff. And I'm like, look, I'm looking for value add mobile home parks. And they're like, Hey, we have this in-house listing. So I got access to this deal because I told her exactly what I was looking for. Right. Like the next one was, 
a guy that I had built a relationship previously with, he was a developer and he, he said, Hey, my buddy's selling a single family home, the town over, are you interested? And I said, no, I'm not looking at single family right now. I'm focused on value add mobile home parks. And he said, I have a park. He goes, I have five parks. I'll sell it. I, one of them I'll sell you. And I said, would you sell or finance it? He said, yeah, I didn't know the guy owned mobile home parks and he didn't know that I was looking <laughs> until, until I told him specifically what I was looking for. Right. Um, the next one was because I told uh, my property manager who manages who managed the other two parks. I said, Hey, I'm looking for parks. And because she's connected, she, she said, Hey, this property, it was pending. It's going back on the market tomorrow. Here's the financials. Here's access to it. If you're interested, let me know. And we'll put something in. So I, because I had gone through the process, cause I analyzed enough deals, I was able to look at that and very quickly make a decision to make a, to make a strong offer. So every deal comes back to relationships and telling people, oh, man. and, and Absolutely. David, you real quick, like, you said something that was just like so spot on with, with the cash flow because people all the time say, oh, is it a good time to buy? Oh, what if we're at an all-time high? I think it's always a good time to buy if you buy right. And it comes down to cash flow. And I don't buy properties on speculation, right? Like I believe in upside and most of my properties, they perform better than when I bought them because I, I see that upside that's there. I just never rely on that. A lot of my wealth has been built uh, on the equity and the appreciation of these properties, but I've never banked on that appreciation. I've never banked on that equity. It was cash flow first. Does it work today? I don't care about the performer really because every I've never seen a performer that didn't look good. What is it done? What is it doing today? What's it been doing the last couple of years? Cash flow today. I like the way it works today. And there's upside. Hell yeah, I'm gonna buy that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time. You know, people want to get into VA loans and buy houses, and they want to get their first house. And in my Facebook group, and I'm always like, "Look, I don't care what you buy, but don't, don't, don't ever buy a home. Buy an investment property that you're going to live in. And if you just have that mentality, just that little piece that, like, hey, this needs to cover at least the mortgage, uh, but hopefully all your expenses, right? But at least cover the mortgage. Um, you know, I had a buddy. Uh, he, cool dude, bought a house in Hawaii and he owned it for two years, got orders elsewhere. And he was in this spot where if he didn't sell the house, he was going to be out of pocket, almost a thousand dollars a month to rent it to somebody because the mortgage was a thousand dollars a month, more than the market rent. And if he sold it, it hadn't appreciated as fast as it quote unquote should have. And he had only lived in it for two years. He was going to have to write a check for 20 grand to sell it. And so he's, here's this guy who's in theory done everything right, you know, but 20 grand out of pocket to sell it or lose a thousand dollars a month to hold it. Um, now granted, uh, I, I think he ended up, what I actually recommended to him was like, look, if you don't want to hold this, what you should do is because the VA loans assumable, you should just find someone to assume your mortgage and just move on. That's like the win-win here. Like someone else takes your payments, you know, whatever. I think he ended up holding it because he was like, you know, I'm going to come back to Hawaii eventually. I can afford the thousand dollars a month, whatever bad situation. But I mean, now over the last two, three years, he's obviously he's good now, but I could have gone the other way. I mean, if the market had tanked in Hawaii, he'd be stuck paying a thousand dollars a month on a property he's underwater on. That's just, yeah, that's not the, that's not the way to do it. Right. So the way to do it is to buy something that makes sense no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I get people, people make, large amounts of money in, you know, like banking on appreciation and, and that upside. I just watched a lot of people get their ass kicked in 2008. And I, I listened to a lot of people. I mean, in 2008, I owned three houses, right? So I was listening to the people who got their ass kicked in 2008 that were much more experienced to me leading up to that, who said, we lost millions speculating. 
Now people made millions speculating as well, but a lot of people didn't, they just did, they didn't time it. And they, they were only banking on this property works if the rents go up, this property works if values continue to go up. And that worked for a while until it didn't. So this is just how I hedge my risk, right? Of, hey, if the property cash flows, I don't really care that much what the property is doing on paper. I don't, I don't sell very often. I mean, I actually sold a couple single family homes this last year. That's, that's how I bought my, my last two mobile home parks. Um, and, and that's kind of a cool story. It's two single family homes. I put no money down on sold those all these years later, 1031 that money into these mobile home parks. So I'm basically into these mobile home parks, no money out of pocket, um, you know, essentially. And it's just, but it was, what's interesting about that, it's the cash flow, right? Those first couple of homes only cash flowed a few hundred dollars a month. That's not what made me wealthy. But in 2020 to go, okay, these properties are now worth this much. I can keep cash flowing a little bit off these single family homes, or I can exchange that equity for some larger purchases, right? And to, it's the cash flow that got me to that position in 2020 to say, all right, what's, I have options. And it's really, it's about that. I, I had options, right? What's up, military millionaires? I wanted to briefly talk about a service I offer that a whole lot of people don't seem to know about, and I guess that's a failure on my part for not having discussed it enough. So look, finding a realtor that understands investing and or the VA loan or, or both is not always the easiest thing in the world. And finding a lender, same thing. So what I have started doing is I've built a, well, I have a large network, but I've started to compile it all together finally as a legitimate uh, Excel document-driven, location-driven list for you guys essentially so what it what it is is basically just my way of helping connect you with a realtor or a lender that i know personally and have vetted and talked to and understand that they're not going to screw you and what i do is like for example i had a market where i had two or three agents that i all sent the same person as a connection said hey man you know i, I trust I, I know all of these let me know what you think and they all said the same agent and same thing. So what I've done is if there's multiple agents in the same market, I choose the best one and that's who I'm going to hook you up with. But the whole point of this is just to help ensure that you get connected to the best agent. So if that is something that you would like, just go to the website, go to from military to millionaire.com slash VA dash realtor slash, or just reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. I'll send you the link or you can find it on the resources page of the website. But look, all it is is a way to help connect you with an agent who's going to hook you up. No, I don't charge a fee for you. No, I don't charge a fee for the agent. It's just a way to hook you guys up. At the end of the day, as a buyer, you're not going to pay for a realtor anyway. So, ta-da, it's magic. You might as well use one. As far as VA lender, I've got a really good one that I work with and know very well. There's several others that are pretty good. And I'll probably try to steer you away from some uh, companies that I just don't think are very reputable or have been very helpful. So, you know, if this is a service that sounds good to you for free 99 then uh, reach out. And if not, then uh, enjoy the show right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the huge piece here, right? Is if you can't afford to hold the property, then it doesn't matter if it's going to appreciate and people get wrapped up in the, well, it'll appreciate. Okay, fine. But how many properties can you buy at a negative cash flow? Yeah, I mean, not, exactly. not that many. Right. So I think that's, you know, if you want to scale, even if it's only a hundred bucks a month that you make on this property, if it, I mean, real estate will appreciate over time, unless you like buy in Detroit in the 1970s, um, you know, but uh, I think if you buy right, I think that's, I think that's the key, right? So are you, uh, so you're park owned homes. So this is, this is four, four mobile home parks that you have yep. now. Are you doing the old, the, the, uh, was it try to try to sell off all the homes and just own the lots at this point? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So all these uh, mobile home parks, it's a, I have a 43 unit, a 38 unit and a couple 30 units. Um, they all have 
um, some stick built on there. So a couple of the park, one of them has like a, an eight unit stick built, like eight studio apartments, um, on the property. I, I have to own that. Um, some of the parks, some of the parks, uh, came with park owned homes. I've sold some of those back to tenants. I've seller financed some of those back to tenants. Some I've sold, um, for cash. One of them I'm about to just give away because <laughs> I mean, I just don't want it. It's, 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 there's more value in giving it away than doing all the maintenance required. Um, you know, and I don't manage these parks. I have great property management, you know, and in, the, in these parks, I rely heavily on good property management. I don't have on-site managers at any of my parks. Um, there were on-sites when, when I bought them for the majority of on-sites at the parks, the ones that I've bought, they, they have free rent and they're not really doing anything. Right. And so that, that doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, and then, and then the value add component, you know, we, we mentioned earlier kind of how like with, with multifamily, the value add component is a lot of these parks, if they're poorly managed or under rented, if there's some deferred maintenance, I mean, there's some small things like the first two parks I bought you rents hadn't been increased in four and a half and five years and utilities weren't being built back and they were so below market rent. So one of the parks doing a really small increase in rent and six months later, building back utilities was a very low impact on the tenants. They're still below market rent. So low impact on the tenants, but that was a $30,000 a year net swing, a net profit on, on my part without spending any money, right? Now I put some money into the parks, but but it was it was literally my property manager sending out a notice to the tenants. And you know, six months later, this, this property, the, the NOI is up $30,000 a year. And you know, there's just little things. I mean, one of the parks had uh, three years worth of leaves covering three pads, a ton of leaves. It costs $600 to clean up leaves. It seems like a lot of money to clean up leaves, but those pads rent for $475 a month. It's a no brainer, right? Like oh, man. exchanging $600 one time for $1,500 a month forever, you know? <laughs> leaves. That's something you don't hear every day, right? Like that's, I mean, that's a crazy example. So I, I tell people all the time, people get so wrapped up in, they buy a property, they want to jack up the income because that's the sexy thing of real estate investing. But the, the, the most productive thing you can do is get rid of an expense like immediately because that's that's finite, like that's infinite. You can, if you cut an expense like taxes or in your case, uh, getting rid of a home that you would have to renovate and not having to do any of the maintenance on a home. I mean, that's a huge upside compared to, yeah, okay, you're making less income, quote unquote, if you're renting the the lot instead of the home and the lot but you're making so much better off by not having to do any of the headache, any of the expenses, any of the maintenance, any of the handyman stuff. Like that's hilarious to me though, because that means whoever you bought the place from had thousands of dollars a month worth of leaves sitting there and just never like eh, leaves. Yeah. And, and, and actually the, the owner of that particular property is a fairly sophisticated investor, but that his time and energy wasn't in the mobile home park space. So his time and energy was developing. And so he had a manager that managed it, but she lived, she lived far from the property. So even the manager's time and energy wasn't spent on the park. It wasn't being advertised. There wasn't a lot. So it's, it wasn't even that, that he didn't know investing his time and energy just wasn't on the park. Like they, that just wasn't his priority. So, you know, it, it created that opportunity. And I kind of, you know, your, your question was also about, do I own the, the mobile homes? And, and you kind of answered that, like, I don't want to own the mobile homes, right? Because the, the parks that I bought, when I look at the expenses from the previous owners, it's always on the park owned homes. It's always maintenance and repairs on the park owned homes. And then the tenants, when they own, if they own their own home, 
their pride of ownership goes up. They want to clean the, the, the unit up. They want it to look nice. And if they're renting it, I mean, in a mobile home, sure, their rent, their rent might be higher, but you're going to get beat up in, in repairs and maintenance that would, you know, not be any different than if you just, they were paying pad rent and they were covering their own expenses and making the property look nice. So, yeah, I mean, a personal example, I have a home right now, uh, me and my roommate bought it. We bought a small, like five unit, four building portfolio that we took over from a lady. One of the homes is about an hour east of where we invest. I don't really want anything to do with it, but whatever. So I'm trying to convince the, uh, the lady who is a tenant, her and her husband to just basically, you know, buy it via lease option from me. Um, and, and we were in negotiations, you know, it's back and forth. But when I was home, I drove out there and it's got a lot of deferred maintenance. Like it's one of those homes where like the reason I'm trying to get rid of this thing is because I don't want them to move out and I get stuck with the bill repairing it. But I was talking to the lady and just trying to build rapport. And I asked her what her husband does. And the guy's a contractor. Like it, it, he does drywall and paint and, you know, general like home renovation type contractor stuff. I was like, oh. She's like, yeah, and there's all this. And she was kind of complaining about some of the stuff the previous landlord hadn't done. And we were kind of fixing some of it up for her. And she, I mean, she said it for herself. She was like, well, you know, I mean, if we, we've thought about buying this place, the guy, well, if we owned it, we would just do all this, but because we don't own it, you know, why are we going to do the maintenance ourselves? So we kind of just left it because we figured the landlord would deal with it when we move out. And I'm like, you, that's it. Like, that's the golden ticket. Like, please buy this damn house and take care of it yourself. So I don't have to, because at this point, like you're literally telling me you're just letting it go to rot because it's not yours. I mean, the pride of ownership thing is is huge because they're going to take way better care if they own it, or even if they don't end up executing the lease, if they think they're going to own it, or there's a chance they're going to own it, than they ever will as tenants. I think that's true of all of us. I think back to how I treated my dad's minivan when I was in high school compared to how I treat my cars. Yep. So yep. Um, yep. Exactly. poor Honda Odyssey. <laughs> but oh man, that's a really good point. But I think that's I think that's I don't own any mobile home parks. I would, you know, if the opportunity comes around, I'd love to jump on one at some point. But uh, I, I, when I heard first heard someone mention the idea of selling all the homes as fast as possible to just own the lots, that's such a great strategy. I love that aspect of mobile homes. I mean, that's just cool. You can't do that anywhere else. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just like within real estate, right? Like there's so many ways to be successful in real estate, even in the mobile home park space. I mean, there's guys that are doing large infills and, you know, it's, it's, you know, a high capital expense to bring in new homes, but there's guys doing that and they're and, and girls doing that and they're kicking ass doing that as well. So it's, there's not just, there's not just one way with, you know, with the parks that I own, it makes a lot more sense to sell these back than me bring in these brand new, you know, homes and to have that huge capital expense. I'd rather get rid of the, the expense of the home and, and do it that way, but there's more than, there's more than one right way. And uh, that's, yeah, that's how I've chosen to do it on, on these particular parks. I love it. Love it. So what is, are you, what's, I mean, I guess what's next. Are you, so you're still obviously prefer the seller financing side of the world. Are you, is mobile home parks kind of the focal point for this year or? It is. Yeah, it is right now. I mean, if I don't know if it'll always, it'll always be that like, I'm one that, you know, I'll get focused, but I'm also willing to shift when I, when I see changes, you know, I think there's going to be opportunity in the commercial space um, with a lot of, I think there's going to be, you know, sadly, a lot of businesses, um, shutting down, not, not reopening. Um, but again, some of that would be speculation. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, but at, at this time, you know, the mobile home park space is where I'm focused, uh, 30 units and above. I really won't look at almost anything else besides 30 units and above just to, just to keep my focus. Um, the first time I said that I got, I kept having all these 
like amazing single family homes sent my way. And I, I was like buying them and buying them. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop. Cause I, you know, I need to, so I stopped looking at single family and, and right now focus on mobile home park space. I like it. Uh, all right. So I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit from the real estate side. So you've been effectively financially independent now for a decade. Uh, if not a little bit longer, actually. Well, a little bit um, more. Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, which is phenomenal. And so I'm going to ask these questions as a guy who's headed that route uh, this year, I guess, officially. Um, whoo, although, I mean, I'll still be in the awesome. reserves, so I guess uh, not 100%, yeah. but whatever. It's exciting. Um, and that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm stoked. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, it can't come fast enough at this point. I'm I finally over the last six months, we've mentioned before recording, I finally hit the point where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm ready. You know, the last year has been like, I think this is the right decision. The people that are saying that this is the right decision are the people I want to be in 10 years. And the people who are telling me that this is the wrong decision, I don't want their life. So, okay, I'm on the right track. But over the last six months, it's become obvious, like, okay, this is, this is the right call. I'm in the right spot. This is going to be good. Um, and you, know, and you know, you know, you've got, I mean, I've talked to you enough times to know, like you're, you're ready. And then once you're there, it's like, you have time and energy to be, to be all in, like you, you make it happen. So that's kind of my question is I've been hearing from people. One of the harder things, as I talk to guys like Alex or uh, Felice or, or Doug Nordman, or um, some of these guys who are completely independent, I've been hearing that it's a lot harder to be completely financially free than you think. Like, finding stuff to do with your free time and, and keeping yourself occupied. So I'm curious, obviously you're still doing real estate. So I think that's going to be me. I'm still going to run a business. I'm still going to keep myself busy, but I guess, is there anything you wish you'd known when you <laughs> officially were done with the workforce that first time? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, you know, for me, like it was, I was really focused on that initial push, right? Like that initial, like, Hey, I want to be financial free. And it was about the money and it was about the, the building the wealth but, you know, I had to reflect on that a little bit, right? Like there was a period of time where like, I was so obsessed with it that it became an unhealthy thing, right? Like it, it almost ruined my marriage. Like my wife and I separated for, you know, like, I mean, just getting vulnerable here. Like, you know, we separated for six months when the kids were, uh, you know, two and two, two and four, around like two and a half, four and a half, uh, five, something, you know? Um, and, that, and that was hard because, you know, I was so focused on that. And I realized I had put all my time and energy into and it wasn't even my time and energy. It was like, that's where my mind was at. I was so focused on my dream of what I wanted to do. Um, and it wasn't until kind of that moment, I was like, what am I doing? What am I actually building? What's actually important to me? And I realized, mm. you know, I had read these books on real estate. I had, I, I'm, I'm, you know, studying real estate. I'm, I'm focused on real estate. Had I ever read a marriage book? Had I ever read a parenting book? Had I ever, you know, all the other aspects of my life. And it was interesting. Once I got away from focusing on the real estate and the money and that, and was really more focused on the personal development, it was really a reflection of like, what do I want? I want to be the best version of myself. How do I become the best version of myself? Once my focus became there, everything in my life started to, to prosper, including the real estate, right? So I was less focused on that because what I realized is it wasn't even the money that I was after. Like I didn't want to just swim in a pile of money. What I wanted was the freedom of my time. I wanted to be able to hang out with my family. I wanted to be able to raise my children, like be there with them. Right. And I've, and I've, I've gotten to do that. I want to be able to travel. My health is important to me. I want to be able to, you know, work out when I want to work out. Um, you know, and so it was, it was kind of a journey and it was a journey of being very focused on, on the money and very focused on, on the wealth. But when I really got real and asked myself, why, like, what do I really want? It was like, well, shit, I like my marriage is important to me. 
You know, like my relationship with my wife is important. My relationship with my kids are important. Like I want to be there. So I better, I better remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and then I, I really started to build my life around that, around the, the concept of time freedom. And really, what are the couple things in my life that are most important to me? And when I'm making a decision, I just have to ask myself, does this align with, does this align with time with my family, um, the ability to travel, um, this align with my health goals, whatever it might be. Um, you know, and, and in some ways, the real estate is, is in a lot of ways, second to that, but also supports that lifestyle. So yeah, I'm not sure that answered your question, but that's kind of, that's kind of where my, where my journey went. No, that's, that's good. So, uh, I mean, while we're being somewhat vulnerable, right. I'm, I'm geo bachelor right now. So I, about a year and a half ago, I moved to California and, uh, in the time frame of moving here, my wife got a job offer at her old school in Missouri and, um, I have a stepson and dad didn't really want kid not living in Missouri. And there was just a lot of stuff. So they moved back to Missouri about a year and a half ago with the intent that, you know, she's a school counselor so she can come out for the whole summer she can come out for christmas spring break fall break i can go there yada 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 then pandemic happened and we saw each other twice last year um and it has been i mean terrible uh like i thought in my head like oh yeah this would just be like a deployment you know oh yeah six months a year don't see your kids like yeah but when you forget on a deployment it's like a mission you got all this cool stuff you're hanging out with the guys and uh, i was basically coming home to an empty house every night finally got a roommate things that started to go it hasn't been easy at all. Um, and that's kind of one of my fears is like, I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic, I guess. So like, okay, I'm going to find things to fill my void. So I'm going to very be very intentional when I go back about, okay, you just set like specified work hours. I need to make sure there are days or, or, you know, months or whatever, where I am not doing the grind and hanging out with the family because I've seen that suffer. I mean, we've, we've not been, great over the last year and not because we aren't per se, but just because of circumstances. So I could totally see. So I appreciate, I appreciate the vulnerability there. Cause I can, I can see getting wrapped up in that focus and being like, Oh man. So. Well, and, and what it really, fears. yeah. What, what it came down to was my own, my own bullshit. Like I was so focused on my dreams, right? Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't make it a wee thing. Right. And so it's once I got clear on, Hey, what's really, what's really important, then it's easier to make that decision. Right. So like, now, now it's a, it's a lot more weak. Like we're a family unit, right? Like we actually pulled our kids from school. We bought an RV today and like, we're going to, you know, when we get back from Hawaii, we're going to, we're going to hit the road. Like, because I'm clear and it was easy to make that decision. It was so, well, I shouldn't say it was easy because there was some time leading up and a lot of, com- a lot of conversation, but, but we chose to do that today because it's, that's, that's my family, right? That's my wife. That's my kids. Like that's, that's what's important to me. And so it's easier to make those decisions when you're clear on those things that are most important. Cause then you can say, Hey, does this decision, does, does this thing I'm being asked to do, does that align with these couple of things that are most important in my life? If, if they align with that, say, yeah. And if it doesn't say no as fast as you can and move on to something that, that supports the things that are most important in your life. I like that. I mean, that's a concept that a lot of people talk with about or talk about on the business side, but not a lot of people mention it on the family side. And it's just as important to be clear on, what adds to your relationship. And I love that you mentioned marriage books. I mean, I've, I've definitely read a couple of those types of books this year. Um, and that's helped a ton. Uh, you just need to buy some, uh, some mobile home parks all around the country. So you can park your, you know, RV in your own place as you travel. Right. 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 That's cool. Hey, I, you know what? 
I didn't even and, until you just said that I'm realizing like I'm gonna have to park this thing somewhere, right? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna get to see a lot of the a lot of the country. So. Just uh, just call Brandon. He's got some places all over the place now, right? So okay, okay. that's right, some serious driving driving for dollars. <laughs> that's I mean that's valid, right? There's Absolutely. that's funny you say that. I mean it's it's kind of funny to say, but legitimately, you know, what better way to get to know park owners, I guess, than staying in their park? Um, right. Right. You never know what you're going to come across if you're looking for it. That's cool. Well, I guess, you know, before we kind of wrap stuff up, I would just ask, you know, what, what's next? Is there anything we missed in this? What other, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've got some pretty cool things going on in your life these days. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The biggest thing is like, I, I enjoy just encouraging others, man. I, I get real excited uh, when I hear, you know, young, young, not necessarily age, but newer investors just getting excited about, about real estate, you know, like, that's one of my favorite things is when someone reaches out and they tell me like, Hey, I just did my first, my first real estate deal. or I just did my first seller financing deal or every once in a while, like, Hey, I'm financially free. Like that, that excites me. And so, I mean, for your listeners, like, I just want, I mean, I truly believe if someone wants it bad enough, if someone really, really wants that financial freedom. And I, I think real estate is a great, if not the greatest tool to, to do that with. And I encourage anyone, like, I don't know anyone, I guess, who, has done has invested in real estate long term, stuck with it, and not found some level of success. So, and and kind of to break that down, even like every single property I've ever purchased, there's not a single property I've purchased that I regret buying. And every single one of those, I also could have found a reason not not to buy it. And I just I just can't think of a a greater vehicle of building wealth and a more leverageable asset than than real estate. I agree, and I think that you just hit the nail on the head with the phrase every property you could find a reason not to buy because there are definitely people out there who talk themselves out of buying stuff. And you know, there's always a reason not to do something right. Yeah, absolutely. Running. There's, there are plenty of mornings. There's a reason for me not to go run, but there's a lot of benefits to running and it's just kind of playing the long game. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. All right. I got a couple questions. I ask everyone before we, before we roll up the first, and I think you might've already mentioned this, but, um, if you have like, what's one piece of advice that you would give to an E1, E2, 18 year old, uh, about life in general, I guess, but real estate too, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, the biggest thing is if, if you have a dream, like if there's something that you want in life, go for it, go, go all in. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in triple down, tri- you know, tripling down on your strengths and, and knowing what those are, knowing what's important to you and, and, and going all in. I like it. And then uh, what's a resource, book, course, website, whatever that you'd recommend to anybody getting started in real estate? Gosh, I mean, there's this great podcast, Military to Millionaire. I mean, uh, not not a bad place to start. Um, you know, I no, I, I do think the podcasts are great because you get you get so many different, you know, they I didn't know of, you know, podcasts. I didn't know of bigger pockets when I when I got started. But I think all these podcasts are such a great resource, um, especially as ones where you're getting guests on because they're all doing it differently. And there's so many different ways to be successful within real estate. You might hear one person say one thing and it just click, right? Like it just click and 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 that's what you dive into. And so um I think the podcasts are really a, a great way, a great way to learn. I like it. I I'm a fan. I I mean, obviously, but um I've become even more fan since hosting one. I didn't, when I first started this podcast, I was like, Oh yeah, it'll be cool. Um, 
basically someone who was more successful than me told me I should start a podcast. So I did. Uh, and I very quickly realized that the benefit to podcasting was that I would get 30 to 45 minutes where I could ask questions of people who I might not normally get their time. Right. I've had some people on this show before where I'm like, man, if I'd called that guy and been like, Hey, can I have like 45 minutes to an hour of your time where I just ask questions? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Not right. happening. Sorry. Like I ain't got that time for you to pick my brain, but if you're like, Hey, I've got this podcast that reaches a whole bunch of people and I'd like to, you know, share your expertise. It's a win-win. And then, and then I still get to ask people like you questions about like, Hey, how do you survive financial freedom? Like without going crazy. Yeah, <laughs> It's been incredibly beneficial. And I still listen to podcasts all the time. I love it. Yeah. Uh, same, same here. Same here. I mean, there's, it's that continuing, uh, that continuous education, right? I mean, there's things all the time, like I never think I'm going to know it all. In fact, the more I learn, the more I learn, I don't know. And so it's, I mean, I, I, I want to keep learning more. And I hear things all the time where I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't think of it quite that way. Yeah. I never, I've never, or I've never heard of that. Or I never heard of that way of doing it, you know? And it's, I think that's important to just have in your ear. I agree. I agree 100%. All right. Where can people reach out if they want to get a hold of you? I know you have an awesome Instagram. What's your, what's your Instagram? Yeah, Gabriel. Yeah, Gabriel. Gabriel R. Hamill. If you just if you just search Gabriel Hamill, you'll you'll find me. So um, fairly active on Instagram. Uh, that's that's probably the best best way to message me. Um, I have a website at Hamill. It's just HamillInvestments.com. I, I I'll load up uh, this podcast when it when it airs this episode when it airs, and there's a bunch of other uh, podcasts I've been on on there as as well. Awesome. And your yeah, your Instagram is great. You got some good quotes on there. Your your bigger account than I am. And you're always showing cool stuff that you're up to. So I, I follow it for sure. One of the, one of the, probably one of the few uh, Instagram accounts that I actually see on my feed because I actually engage with it. <laughs> the more I, the more my pod, my, my channel grows, the more I'm like, okay, I got to get rid of that distraction and that distraction. I need to just post and not focus on things. So I don't follow too many people anymore, but uh, I definitely see your stuff. So. No, I appreciate that. And I, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy your content as well. So. Well, thanks. Gabriel, this is a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I look forward to, uh, you know, post-pandemic, whenever meetups start happening again, getting to hang out again at whether it's BPCon or wherever we run into each other next, Maui, who knows? Uh, but um, this has been good, brother. And I thank you very much for being a guest. Yeah, thank you, David. I, I, I appreciate it truly. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes, now get out there and take action.